Hello? Hey, I'm here. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Good to be here. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, John stole my introduction, so thank you for that, John. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, as he mentioned, we're going through um, a sermon series this uh, summer on Solomon's wisest words. Um, Rob brought a great word to us last week about rolling our plans over to God. Uh, I hope to do, uh, to do at least as well as him. Um, the passage I'm going through today is Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, and uh, it's just two simple little verses. Um, I'll read the passage, uh, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dig in. Uh, let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for life and for breath and for uh, just gathering us today to hear your word, Lord. Uh, I just ask that you would open our eyes and our ears, Lord, to hear what you would have us say. Lord, and I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and well-pleasing, uh, Lord my God and my Redeemer. Amen. Um, so the passage today, yeah, Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, uh, says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So I have a question. Have you guys, have you guys ever wanted something? Like really, really wanted something? Something that you would sacrifice for or work really hard to obtain? Uh, well, recently in my life, um, I really wanted to get better at playing golf. <laughs> so I sacrificed time to go take golf lessons this winter. I took uh, one-hour sessions once a week uh, through the course of the winter to try to uh, improve my skill. I sacrificed money to pay for those lessons and to maybe purchase some new golf clubs that might have the ability to let me hit them straighter. I don't know if it's working yet. <laughs> Time will tell. Uh, but we all have wants and we all have desires. And my big idea today is that being wise starts with desire. So why do we need this message? Uh, well, I believe that we need to take a moment and we need to think about what our desires really are. Specifically today when it comes to this passage where we're talking about times or seasons of isolation as well as in how we communicate to others. And I also believe that we could use a reminder that we are probably not the smartest person in the room. Uh, so I have a couple of steps that I think will help us through this. My first step is um, desire isolation for the right reasons. In this passage, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. So I was starting to think through reasons why we isolate. Why do we have motivations or desires to isolate ourselves and what's our heart desires what is our heart's desire in seeking that isolation and I think that our tendency is to isolate ourselves when times are hard when life gets hard or maybe it's about to get hard and so we try to solve problems on our own terms and when we try to solve problems on our own terms you know we pull away and we try to man up and we're like I can do this I'm gonna make this happen but the flaw in that logic is that it doesn't leave room for God to step into our lives through other people. So some of the examples that I thought of of our own selfish desires that lead to isolation, um, at least for me, one of, the, one of my flaws is that I, I avoid confrontation. I am not good with confrontation. I don't like confrontation. It's very awkward, and uh, I, I, I try to avoid that if I can. Um, but we do have times where we have to have difficult but important conversations with people in our lives. Prime example for this is I run a business, and I've been managing people for a number of years. 
Uh, and there are definitely times where you have to call somebody into your office to talk about a disciplinary type situation. Uh, maybe their behavior at work isn't so good. Maybe uh, they're not performing to your standards. Um, and those are awkward conversations to have. I don't want to have those conversations, and I'm sure they don't want to have to receive that conversation. Um, but it's something that's important that I need to step into, and I step into it timely. Um, or even firing somebody. I've had to let people go for various reasons, whether it was a performance issue, or maybe, maybe the economy was bad and I'd have to lay somebody off. They're a great employee, but I can't, I can't afford to keep them around if, if sales aren't there. Um, and a form of isolation would be avoiding that conversation or putting that off and procrastinating that. Um, so I need to step into that. Um, maybe another difficult but important conversation could be um, with somebody here at church or with friends or with family. Um, I think we avoid certain conversations that we need to have um, when it comes to sin issues. Um, I think uh, it's easy for us to avoid coming to church or coming to small group if there's a sin issue going on in your life and you don't want to be held accountable to that sin. You don't want that to get exposed. You don't want someone to uh, step into your life and, and confront you with that sin. So it's easy to pull away and, and, and try to hide from that. Or maybe there's a, a sin issue in somebody else's life that you're not stepping into. You see this sin issue going on in someone's life, and you know that you should probably bring that up and say something, um, but a form of isolation would be stepping back and just hoping it goes away. Uh, another reason I think we isolate is we desire to avoid embarrassment. You know, we all have insecurities about ourselves, talents, abilities, appearances, whatever that may look like. Uh, we don't want to be compared to others. Um, we have a fear of not being accepted or not being good enough. A uh, prime example is me standing here on this stage today. <laughs> you know, I don't come up here on this stage with a, a degree in theology. Um, I don't do public speaking very often. Um, and if I was to turn down this opportunity that God might have to grow me in my life and possibly to grow you in your life by me bringing this message, um, I would be isolating myself from a situation and not allowing God to work in my life today. Uh, so I'm very humbled and very honored to be up here um, and to be asked uh, to do this. Um, I think another selfish reason we isolate or a desire that we isolate is a desire for an escape. Again, life can bring challenges. Life can be difficult for us. And we just don't want to deal with everyday life. So we look for ways to escape reality. Uh, some people's escape, I mean, it all has different forms. Uh, substance abuse is one area in ways that people try to escape. They turn to alcohol or drugs or whatever. And they're just looking for that escape. They're looking for a way to take a break from reality and just live, you know, differently. And I, I think we're called to step into living our reality and, and dealing with the challenges that God brings our way. And the last thing I think um, is just being led by our feelings or our emotions. I think uh, it's really easy for us to, um, to just tell ourselves, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to this thing that I said I was going to go to. I don't want to have to talk to these people. And a prime example that I could think of in my life was um, is, is small group in general, right? I love my people in my small group. I love the studying of God's word. But there are days where maybe I didn't sleep well the night before, and maybe I had a difficult day at work today, and the easy thing for me to do is stay home, kick on the TV, and just watch TV and veg out for a couple of hours and just live in my own little bubble because I just don't feel like talking to people today. Um, and I don't know if you can relate to that, <laughs> but I feel like um, that's that's, that's not being led by your feelings and emotions. It would be to do the thing that you know you're supposed to do. God might have an opportunity there for you that you just aren't aware of yet. And if you isolate yourself from those situations, you're going to possibly miss out on that opportunity. 
On the other hand, I don't know that isolation or solitude is always a bad thing, or even unbiblical for that matter. So I want to kind of balance this conversation um, with some biblical examples to desire isolation or, or even solitude. Uh, first example that I thought of is uh, examples of sickness or disease. Can anybody think of anything in the last couple of years that we've had to deal with where we've been called to isolate because of sickness? <laughs> COVID, yes. 14 days, 10 days, 7 days, uh, you know, whatever the CDC recommends at the time, we are called to isolate ourselves in those situations. Uh, back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13 through 15, uh, Moses is giving the commands about um, unclean people in the Bible needing to isolate, and they're primarily dealing with skin disease, leprosy at that time. Um, so God even commands isolation for situations uh, for people who are sick. Um, and then I found some examples in Jesus' life. Um, he had times of isolation. And I think we can take um, those examples from Christ and apply those in our life today. So um, the first thing is to prepare for a major task. So in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. And after this, he was tempted by Satan, and then he began his ministry. So to prepare for that major task was a reason that Jesus isolated because he knew I mean, he isolated for 40 days in the wilderness. He had to prepare mentally and physically for his ministry that he was about to um, go into. So I think we can, uh, we can come to the Lord in prayer and isolation in those moments to prepare for that task. Uh, to recharge after hard work. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to do ministry. And when they returned, he encouraged them to separate themselves from the people who were following them in order to get rest. So I think resting in general requires some isolation. When we lay our heads down at night, we need to tune out the world and we need to recharge our batteries. I don't think that's necessarily an unbiblical thing. Uh, to work through grief, uh, Matthew chapter 14, after Jesus learned that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded, uh, he went away by himself to grieve. Even our Lord grieves. And so I think, you know, it's not necessarily saying that Isolation is the best way to deal with grief because we do need people around us. Um, if we've lost a loved one, I think m many of us here have lost loved ones over uh, a course of our lives. And uh, you need people around you to build you up, to let you know that you're loved, to help you process through that grief and to grieve with you. But there's definitely going to be moments where you are alone and isolated and you're dealing with grief on your own. Um, and to work through those feelings, to bring it to God, to pray through those types of things. Um, and I, don't, I think that's a good thing. Um, how about before making an important decision? Uh, Luke chapter 6, early in Jesus' ministry, he spent the whole night alone in prayer, and then the next day he chose his 12 disciples. Um, so again, you have lots of decisions you're going to make in your life. And as Pastor Rob told us last week, we, we need to roll those plans over to God. And part of that, I think, is isolating yourself in solitude, talking to God about these things, preparing yourself, working through the decision-making process, and, and getting away from the noise of the world. Um, in a time of distress might be a time to isolate. In Luke uh, chapter 22, hours before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives and went a short distance away from his disciples to pray. He was in great emotional agony knowing what he was about to face. Uh, Luke even says that Jesus' sweat came down like drops of blood. I mean, he was in such distress knowing that he was about to be betrayed by his, one of his disciples. He was going to go through a really tough trial. He was going to be tortured and eventually crucified. And again, he had, he had to come to God and he had to pray to his father to ask for the strength and the courage to go through what he had to go through. And then to focus on prayer. I think I gave some pretty good examples here of how Christ uh, isolated himself to focus on prayer. 
Many times in his ministry, he spent time alone in prayer. And even in Matthew 6, 6, he says, but when you go, when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, one of my most favorite times um, of isolation is uh, when we went on our men's wilderness trip. Uh, this was probably in 2015. We went out to Colorado and we spent five days hiking through Colorado and disconnecting ourselves from the world and to spend time with God. And one of those days, uh, we have what we call solo day. And solo day is a day where all the guys um, disperse from each other and they spend the entire day not talking to another human being. You're, you're charged to spend time in the Word, to pray, to journal, and I did all of those things. I don't know that I've had a day like that since, but it was the, one of the most powerful days that I've spent in isolation. Um, it's, it's, I can't imagine what it's going to be like in heaven and on the new earth when we get to spend time alone with God um, when we want to. Um, so I think it was, that was a really good day. The last time, uh, the last example I have, uh, biblical example I have of, temp, uh, of isolation is avoiding temptation. Uh, Romans 13 and 14 and Timothy 2, 2, Paul tells us to run away from our tempting desires and to pursue God. And I think, you know, we all have different um, temptations. We all have different sins that, um, that we are more prone to. Um, but I think we are called to find areas, you know, if, if we're invited to go to some place or to some event where you're going to be tempted by that sin. Uh, we're called to not even go near that house. Uh, Proverbs 5.8 says, Keep your way far from her and not to go near uh, her door. Um, in that context, they're talking about adultery. So maybe you have a lust issue or maybe you have an adultery temptation. And uh, if you put yourself in a situation where you're going to face that temptation and, and you might not be strong enough to resist that temptation, the wisest thing to do is to isolate from that and to not go near the door. Uh, so where's your heart, Christian? When you're desiring isolation, I think we need to ask ourselves, am I wanting to isolate today for selfish reasons? Or am I needing to isolate today for godly reasons? But as you ask yourself that, be careful, because our hearts are wicked and we can easily deceive ourselves. It's really easy, I think, for us to want to isolate for a selfish reason, but maybe try to slap a godly reason or label on that. But you know your heart, and God knows your heart. So just keep that in mind uh, as, you're, as you're thinking through those things. My second step today is uh, to seek first to understand and then to be understood. Uh, it's a worldly, I have a worldly illustration here, but it follows this biblical principle. Has anybody here read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey? Yes? Good. It's a very, very good leadership book, and I do recommend it. Uh, Stephen goes through, and he um, talks to a lot of very successful people and he figures out what their habits were, and he kind of boils them down to these seven habits. Um, and it's something that they all have in common that potentially leads to their success. And his, in his book, the fifth habit is exactly this. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. And he says in the book, if you're like most people, you probably seek first to be understood. You want to get your point across. And in doing so, you may ignore the other person completely or pretend that you're listening or selectively hear only certain parts of the conversation or attentively focus only on the words being said, but miss the meaning entirely. So why does this happen? I think it's because most people listen with the intent to reply, um, not to understand. You listen to yourself in your head as you prepare in your mind what you're going to say, the questions you're going to ask, things like that. You filter everything through your life experiences and your frame of reference. So where do you see this play out in your lives? Well, in my life, I see it play out in my everyday conversations. 
Um, you know, we have disagreements with each other about certain things, or maybe we're in an argument with our spouse or our kids or whatever the case may be. And as they're saying whatever it is they need to say, you're not, I'm not really listening to what they have to say at times. I'm already figuring out in my head what I want to get my point across. I want them to hear what I have to say because what I have to say is more important to me. I don't know if that <laughs> makes sense to any of you. Um, but I think, you know, that we're, we're called to try to understand. So to, to listen with the intent to understand where they're coming from before we generate that reply and that response. We see it on our social media posts, Facebook, Twitter, you know, somebody puts out a controversial statement which sparks comments and replies all over the place. And people maybe not actually be trying to understand what the other person's trying to say, they're just really getting their opinion across. Uh, we see it in our political debates. Um, you got two candidates up on stage trying to talk through whatever hot button issue it is that they're trying to campaign for. And they're supposed to be having this debate back and forth with each other, but oftentimes they're talking past each other and really just trying to express their ideology. Um, I saw this in a religious debate, actually. We had a group of us go down to the Indianola High School. Uh, this was probably six, seven years ago. There was a, a debate between an atheist and a Christian. Um, and they were talking through topics like creation or Noah and the flood or the deity of Christ. And both, both people came very well prepared. They had a PowerPoint presentation. They spent tons of time, you know, formulating their arguments and their ideology. But there was never actually a, an exchange of words and somebody trying to understand where the other person's coming from. It's really just, here's what I believe. This is what the science says. This is what I believe. This is what you should believe too. And the other guy was like, well, this is what the Bible says. And this is what I believe. And this is what you should believe too. And neither of them were really trying to understand where the other person was coming from. It was really just pushing their own uh, ideology. Um, so that leads me to another question. So are you a know-it-all? Or do you know somebody who tries to be a know-it-all? Well, in this passage, the second verse, um, the, God is telling us that a fool is a, is a know-it-all. I think the know-it-all is kind of a prime example of who the fool is. Um, there's a quote by Charles Spurgeon that I want to put up on the board. Uh, Spurgeon says that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool, but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. So the Bible gives us over 200 verses about seeking uh, and asking for wisdom and not to be the fool. And I'm not going to read all 200 of those to you. <laughs> but I do want to share... Ten sister verses, and I'm going to go through these fairly quick because I want to show you the, kind of the running theme. And these are all going to come out of Proverbs, and I made sure that I don't overlap with somebody else's sermon so, <laughs> as we work through the series. So Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3.7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 12.15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 12.15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Oh, I'm sorry, I already did that one. Proverbs 15. 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise, and when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. 
Proverbs 26, 28, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And the last one, Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You see the pattern there? Wise people seek the advice and counsel of others. And why? Why is that? Well, they, they truly want to learn. They want to grow. They want to improve. They want to learn from other people's life experiences. They want to know what God has to say about this situation that they might be in. Fools think they have it all figured out. And they want to make sure that you know they do too. Um, yeah, they're, they're very quick to speak rather than being slow to speak, as James calls us to be. So how are you doing here? Are you seeking first to understand? Or are you just trying to simply express your opinion? Or are you maybe trying to be the smartest person in the room? So how does this passage and message tie back to Jesus? Can I have my phone? In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that Jesus became wisdom to us. And I want to use my phone because I like the ESV translation, and this is a little easier to read than the fine print that I can see in this <laughs> Bible from up here. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were of uh, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom to us from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, that it is, so as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I think this is telling us that if we're truly seeking a heart of wisdom, we should simply be seeking Jesus, who became wisdom for us. Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life. Jesus, the one who prayed often to his Father in isolation. Jesus, who loved his neighbor, even the greatest perceived sinners of the day. Jesus, the one who died a criminal's death. Jesus, who rose to life three days later, conquering death. And Jesus, the one who invites us into a relationship with him. So if we're seeking wisdom, we should be seeking wisdom. And through that, we should be seeking Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, again, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you for um, how you move through other people in our lives, Lord. Lord, and I just ask that uh, you would give us the wisdom, Lord, to seek you and we're seeking isolation, Lord, to, to put our hearts in check and, and decide whether we're seeking isolation for selfish reasons or whether we need to be pursuing isolation and solitude, Lord, for godly reasons. Lord, I just ask that you would uh, help us in our communication with others, Lord. Help us to seek first to understand and not only to be understood, Lord. And just give us the wisdom that we need to live the way you would have us, have us live, Lord. 
And if any are in here today, Lord, that do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, I just ask that you would bring them to a place, Lord, uh, of repentance of their sins, Lord, and that they would just turn to you and trust you, Lord, and what you have uh, to say for us. We thank you for your work on the cross, Lord. We thank you for, um, again, how you move in our lives. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.